Ron began this evening by welcoming you all to this service, so I take this opportunity to welcome him and to thank him for leading us so far. It's great to have you with us and to have this opportunity for, for fellowship and, and shared worship in these summer evenings. As Ron's already mentioned, I'm going through a series in the Songs of Ascent. That's the Psalms from 120 through to 134. And I thought on the couple of evenings where I'm preaching during the summer, I'd also take one of those psalms. So that's what we're going to do here this evening. We're going to look together at Psalm 128, the passage which Ron read for us earlier. So if you could turn with me in your Bibles there in the pew to page 624, that's where you'll find Psalm 128 on page 624. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last November, we were in the throes of planning our community carol service for the the traders and the community here in Ballyhackamore. And in the midst of our preparations, I found myself in a musical quandary. Our choir had been building up a a repertoire of traditional carols, uh, one or two uh, more contemporary pieces of music that would be appropriate for the season. And at first, it all seemed very straightforward. Until a member of the choir suggested that we sing the ironic blessing to Rutter's setting. Now, when I first heard of this idea, I couldn't get my head around it. I love the ironic blessing, uh, but I'm used to singing it uh, at a baptism or when we receive new communicants. It makes a lovely benediction, but at a carol service, at Christmas time, when we were inviting in a community of people who are maybe not very churched and maybe not au fait with with these biblical blessings. My immediate response was that it seemed out of place, and at first I thought I probably wouldn't run with it, with that suggestion. But then I thought about it for a while. I began to ask myself, well, approach this with an open mind. What, What kind of questions should you be asking yourself? I wondered, would it be appropriate for our choir to sing a blessing on the people of our community? Of course it would. Yes. And then I wondered, would it be a good thing to do that at Christmas time? And again, the answer was yes, undoubtedly. Uh, what, What time is better than Christmas? That time when we remember God's greatest blessing to us sending his son into the world to be our savior. So the more and the more I thought about it, the more I became convinced that this would be a great thing to do. And actually with hindsight, I think it was probably uh, the high point of the whole service. That night, we as a congregation and particularly as a choir, blessed the people of our community in the name of God. 
Psalm 128, this short psalm, is a psalm of blessing. So it begins in verses 1 and 2 with three promises of blessing. First it says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord and who walk in his ways. Secondly, those who fear the Lord are promised that they will eat the fruit of their labor. And thirdly, those who fear the Lord are promised blessing and prosperity will be yours. The psalm concludes with three pronouncements of blessing. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. May you live to see your children's children. And slap bang in the middle between these promises of blessing and the pronouncement of blessing, verses 3 and 4 give an illustration of blessing. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. You can't get away from it in this psalm. It's a psalm all about blessing. It's about being happy. Those who love God are promised blessing, and blessing is pronounced on them, and they experience blessing. It seems if the only part of the Bible that you read were this psalm, that God wants people to be blessed. Now, wait a minute. Somebody's saying, Christians have no more right to happiness or to blessing than anyone else. Maybe you're sitting in the pew and the the distinction you're making in your mind is the one that I've often heard. Christians aren't promised happiness. It's joy that God promises his people. Well, it might interest you to know that this Hebrew word that comes up here time and time again and throughout our Old Testament when we read blessed, it's very close to our word happiness. So if we imagine that the Bible doesn't promise blessing or that that happiness is not to be the inheritance of God's people, it's all right for us to run with that notion in our minds, but only if we're willing to stand outside of the teaching of God's word. Let me show you very quickly that God's word from start to finish teaches that we're to be a blessed people. What does God say as soon as he's created man and woman? In verse 27 of Genesis 1, where we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Them. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. So the first thing that God speaks to human beings is a blessing. And then what about that pivotal moment a few chapters later when God calls Abraham? Abraham, living in Ur of the Chaldeans, God calls him in the opening verses of Genesis 12. We read the account. God comes to him and he says, I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I'll curse. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And what about Jesus? 
What does he say in those introductory uh, clauses, that, that introductory passage of the Sermon on the Mount, which Ron read for us a moment ago? He talks about the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, and lots of other people too. And he says they all have something in common. They're blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So here we have Jesus, who who talks often and freely about the cost of discipleship, about the sacrifice that's involved with following him. But he wants us to know that entering into life with him is to enter into a blessed life. Being a Christian isn't to live less of a life than a person who isn't a Christian. This isn't some sort of a subtraction from a fuller life that we lived before. Entering into life with God is to expand their horizons. It's entering into the life that God always intended for human beings to live. It's to finally live the life that we're created for. In Jesus' words, it's life to the full. Now, we need to be careful here. Again, if we pay attention to everything that the Bible teaches, uh, particularly what it teaches about men and women of God, it discovers, we discover that men and women who live under God's blessing aren't exempt from bad days. It doesn't mean they always get the last space in the car park because they live under God's blessing. It doesn't mean that we're exempt from unemployment or cancer or the other trials of life. The kind of happiness or blessing that comes from knowing God is the contentment of living life the way it should be lived. Maybe the the best way for us to unpack this for a moment is to look at the example that the psalmist gives in verses 3 and 4. That's all the stuff there about your wife being like a fruitful vine and your sons like olive shoots around your table. Uh, When Monty and I were planning which one of us would preach which psalms, uh, it didn't take too much discussion. Uh, The lot fell to me uh, to preach this one. As Ron said, we we had a a third child just a couple of weeks ago, uh, and it certainly feels like the olive shoots are, are gathering around our table at home. This illustration, I find myself saying this repeatedly in church life. I said it this morning, uh, but we're on the same ground here this evening. This illustration, which associates God's blessing with a growing family, is very much culture-bound. The psalmist is speaking out of the Hebrew worldview of his time. In that culture, you wanted sons, lots of them, And actually, it only takes a moment's reflection to work out why that would be the case. If you had sons, you had a workforce in your family economy. If you had sons, you had protection. Who's going to come and trouble you when you have seven or eight strapping teenage and 20-year-old fellas around the house? When you had sons, you had a pension plan. The more sons the bigger your pension fund. So when you understand that, suddenly verses like this don't seem quite so weird. The psalmist here 
simply saying what everybody then knew to be true. Lots of sons made for a happy life. Now, it's not entirely true, uh, I don't think. I don't think we need to make a, a direct connection between the world of the Sam and our world today. It's not necessarily the case. Like, hands up, for example, if you think having as many children as possible and keeping them all at home would be the, the way to a happy and a blessed life. Hands up if you think that's the, the perfect life. I, I don't have many takers just now. You see my point. The psalmist is talking about a blessed life. For us, a blessed life will look somewhat different. So a bit like Psalm 127, which our congregation looked at this morning, the psalmist here uses a growing family as an example Just one illustration of the kind of blessing that God brings his people. And as we said this morning, for the new covenant people of God, the blessing of God isn't limited to biological families. God wants to bless us all, married or not, part of a large family or not. He wants to bless us all with rich relationships. He wants to, to give us all many brothers and sisters in the family of God. That is the vision of the blessed life that God offers to us. On one occasion when John Calvin was preaching to his congregation in Geneva, he encouraged them to develop better and deeper conceptions of happiness than those held in the world around them. And I think Psalm 128 encourages us to do the same. Too much of the world's ideas of happiness have to do with succeeding, becoming wealthier, surrounding ourselves in status symbols, being number one. And those who succeed in that way of life, if if you analyze for a moment what actually happens, they end up living in splendid isolation. Their houses get bigger, The hedges get higher, the driveways get longer, and they succeed only in moving themselves further and further and further from other people. Friends, that is the world's conception of happiness. But it's entirely the opposite of the life of blessing that God promises. He calls us instead out of our individualism. He woos us out of our isolation. He welcomes us, rich or not, into a kind of happiness that we find only in the hustle and the bustle and the mayhem of life in his family. Your sons, he says, will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. How do we find this life of blessing? The psalmist tells us in, verses, in verse 1, he points out two qualifications. He says, blessed are all who, one, fear the Lord, and two, walk in his ways. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it doesn't mean to be afraid of God. It means to respond appropriately to God. It means to recognize him as he is holy, majestic, powerful, and perfect. 
And it means not trying to whittle God down to something and someone that would suit us better. It means allowing God to be God and aligning ourselves up to Him. Fearing God means taking God seriously and building our lives on Him. As well as fearing the Lord, the psalmist tells us that we need to walk in His ways. We not only need to recognize God for who He really is, but we need to, we need to start doing the things that He's made us for. There is a shape to the Christian life. We see that as we read God's Word. There are commands to obey. There are habits to develop. This is what it means to walk in God's ways. This, says the psalmist, is the way to blessing. It struck me as I looked particularly at verse 1, where we're called to fear the Lord and to walk in His ways. None of us will do this perfectly. But actually, I don't think that's the point. We're simply being told here, There's a right way to live. Live in it. There's a right path to to walk. Walk it. If God exists at all, and if he's shown us a way of life, then it's only common sense to walk in that way. And it's foolishness, utter foolishness, to live any other way. One writer talking about those who refuse to walk in the ways of God, he says, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. We live in a society where many people can't imagine anything worse than walking in the ways of God. They think that God is presenting us with an oppressive and a restrictive regime. They think the only way to happiness is to escape God. But the psalmist tells us here, the only way to blessing is to find the path of God and to walk in it. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in His ways. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be happy? Here it is. Fear the Lord. Walk in His ways. Let us pray. Father God, even as people well-versed in your word, people who have spent time in the community of your people, somewhere in our heart of hearts, we still harbor the notion that happiness and blessing is something we can find for ourselves, something that we, we pursue, and something that you might take away from us. Father God, we pray that you would would cleanse our imaginations. 
by your word and by your spirit, show us the truth that happiness lies only in knowing and loving you, that blessing lies only in walking in your ways. Lord, if we still harbor, harbor ambitions, if we still nurture dreams of, of some delicious sin outside of you, Lord, prune that from us just now. Set us free. Show us the full and the good life that you have called us to in Jesus Christ. Lord, we commit ourselves once more to walking in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.